you, you shouldn't be able to profit and to be damaging to the planet. That's that just is not how the world works. And that's not how the world is going to work in 10, 20 years time. Hi, welcome to the Building a Better Future podcast. Stories from climate tech founders. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's Building a Better Future episode, Stories from Climate Tech Founders. This is the third in an eight-week series where we'll be chatting to startup founders who are still very much in the trenches. We're going to be exploring where their love for sustainability began, the journey they've been on to founding their company, and what challenges they've faced in those first few years as a founder. As always, if you are a founder yourself, I hope you'll find it relatable to hear from other people facing some of the same challenges as you. If you're someone considering starting your own business, I hope you'll find that these stories are motivational and give you the impetus to kind of get out there and do it for yourself. And if you're just passionate about climate tech and you want to hear about the cool things that people, then I hope that you'll find these stories informative. My name's Cherry and I'm the founder of Above and Beyond Recruitment. Our business partners with climate tech startups and we help them to develop their employer brand and then grow and scale their product and engineering teams. If this is your first time listening to the Building a Better Future series, then please go and check out our previous episodes. We've spoken to founders who are working on reducing carbon emissions from corporate travel. Uh, We've spoken to people who are capturing methane from water and using it um, as a renewable energy source. Uh, We've heard tales of startups formed through hackathon projects um, and people who've developed their business through the Carbon Third Venture Builder. So you can find all of those video recordings um, on my LinkedIn profile and also on the Above and Beyond YouTube channel. And we'll share the link to that in the comments. There's also a podcast version now for anyone who prefers to listen on the go. Um, So today we are joined by Bertie Ivory Peters, who's the co-founder of Electro. Launched in 2019 with his business partner, Tim, Electro is designed to be a virtual sustainability officer for your business. Their platform helps businesses to calculate, reduce and communicate their environmental impact and it empowers the employees within an organisation to drive change from the ground up. They're only two years into their journey and in that time they partnered with some really exciting clients, Hudson Bank being a great example of that. And in the last few months alone, they've been listed by Business Insider, Sifted and Startup Basecamp as one of the top climate techs to watch in 2022. Uh, Bertie's actually joining us today from the Tomorrow Matters conference. So I'm really honoured that he's taking a little window in what seems like a really kind of packed itinerary to come and join us. So um, welcome, Bertie, and thank you so much. Um, Absolute pleasure. Thanks for inviting me along. And uh, yeah, uh, great to great to be able to join you and share the story. Perfect. So um, I'm going to start off, as I always do, by kind of going right back to the beginning um, of your journey, if that's okay, and taking me back to kind of those early years. And if there was ever kind of any inkling or those kind of where the seeds were sown, I suppose, at an early age of either a passion for sustainability or a kind of passion for entrepreneurialism and wanting to forge your own path, can you kind of identify where you think that might have come from in your life? Yeah, so it's a really it's a really interesting uh, question and sort of a great starting point. And I think these things affect uh, affect probably all of us more than we know. Um, so I think when I was when I was growing up, I grew up on a farm, um, and my parents are both very like uh, hands on to like I don't know like fix things or do things yourself or like take the initiative a little bit more. Um, and so it, you know, I was thinking about it the other day. Um, I was trying to recycle a battery pack in London. 
And it's quite hard to find where to do things like that. Um, but eventually I got pointed to a place where you can recycle small electronical items. And when I got there, I put it in the bank and it really reminded me of just how we used to have to take bottles, newspapers, whatever it was to the bank. And that used to be kind of a fun Saturday morning activity. Um, so we'd like load everything up from, um, from, from, from the week or from the month of, uh, newspapers mainly, but potentially more bottles of wine than my parents would like to admit. Um, and we'd go and like drop them off and, 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 um, uh, it was quite, quite good fun. So those sorts of things, like I would always fix things as well. It's just small things like that, that would actually probably inform quite a lot. And then in terms of sort of actively pursuing sustainability, that was actually towards the end of school. So I was studying, um, one of my levels, I studied chemistry, and um it's like it's quite kind of amazing so this was 2010 um and the syllabus like had a tiny focus on climate change and that's when you think actually things have moved quite a lot uh forward so climate change now actually features a lot more in syllabus um i can still remember things being like some people think coal is bad for the planet <laughs> this is like in the syllabus and you're like this is crazy that this is that, that that's existed um and i think from from that point of view I was really interested in the technology side of things like harder technologies and new innovations. So uh, like hydrogen economy was something I, I was like super fascinated by. And that's just got my, my interest peaked. Um, and I started exploring it from there. So it very much came from a sort of clean energy point um, and then has sort of transitioned um, partly, I think, through my career, just like working in tech um, and into sort of how we are today with this SaaS platform, the as you yeah, pointed out, the virtual sustainability officer. That's really unusual then from a kind of upbringing perspective, you know, your parents kind of taking you to do the recycling young. I suppose back then that would have been fairly unusual, I suppose, to a point. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's really interesting to, to, to think about because you obviously don't know anything different. That was just, I think it was probably part of, you know, my dad would take me to like football practice and then that was probably what I had to do to earn that lift to play, play football or something. So, but yeah, it was just, it was, it was just a big part of it. And I think that, you know, they're, they're, they've always been pretty into, I mean, again, my dad is like a very hands-on guy and, and it probably initially came from a point which was more, he liked to sort of, be doing something or like be out in the sheds in the workshops rather than maybe from a sustainability point of view. But even that, like he would always be very aware of it. My, like my mom would as well. And they would definitely have brought us up to sort of think a little bit more, more like that and to be a little bit more aware of things. Um, so I think, yeah, probably affected quite a lot and was, was part of that. Um, obviously better to be on that side of history <laughs> coming at it too late, but um, yeah. maybe luck, maybe judgment, who knows. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And really, um, yeah, really important that those kind of early experiences kind of inform what's important to you and your values as you grow up. And that bit about kind of him being in the workshop and being really hands on. I mean, wh where do you think that kind of work ethic has come from? Has it come from watching that, do you think? Or are there other kind of role models that you've had in your life that have inspired you to believe it's possible to forge your own path? Um, yeah, no, I, I definitely. I mean, I think that more than anything, I, like one of the most fortunate um, things to think about my, my my upbringing my parents were always like super supportive of what I wanted to do um, and so you know it, uh, they always made me think that it was like possible to sort of achieve something and, and like why couldn't it be me that set up this company or why couldn't it be me that made this made this change and um, which is awesome and not not saying that other people don't have that support but they would always um, they would always really really push that so they've always just said yeah you know do 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 something that makes you happy I think I'm like really lucky that 
my like passions and um to do with sustainability but also really fit sort of that academic and and knowledge-based stuff around data and like the fact that i can merge those two into a day job is is awesome um so like a bit of both but yeah definitely like always super supportive and just said you know get on with it um i mean they forced me to work really hard <laughs> so it wasn't like they, they did they did like push really hard to make sure that i tried to um you know yeah, did did as well as I could do, but um, they would always support those decisions as well for sure. Well, there you go. That's the nice. That's the nice balance of having somebody that kind of supports you and believes in you unconditionally, but also a bit of the stick to exactly, make, to make exactly. you work. There was, that, that definitely right. existed. Yeah belief alone won't get you there right okay perfect um and so talk talk me through that kind of educational piece because it was at uni right that you met you, you met him correct yeah so um one again from this like from this a level course i um so, sort of came across nuclear energy um and i didn't really know anything about it and it's all i think it always surprises people when you know the uk has 25% of electricity comes from nuclear in the UK. Like it's, it's something that people still think is like a little bit of a like science fiction or is a small part of the energy. And it, and it isn't And the UK has been at the forefront of the nuclear industry for a long time. So I studied nuclear engineering. Um, I met Tim um, uh, when I was studying that it was sort of, I think we both were there because we, like the nuclear industry isn't very sexy. This is kind of the bottom line. <laughs> and we kind of were like, well, if you, if you, if you look into it, it provides really clean power. Um, there are some cost issues in recent years, but in the past, like France built something like 60 reactors in 10 years uh, in the past, like the, the, the scale of what's possible is, is amazing. Um, and I think we both were like, well, look, if we're, if we're entering a world where we need low carbon power, and we need to make it available, then we should, we should look at nuclear as an option. So we started, we studied nuclear engineering, a really fascinating, um, like course, uh, super interesting stuff really got us able to like, look at lots of different things and how it fits into socioeconomic things as well, socioeconomic trends. But we then like, the other thing about the nuclear industry is it moves very, very, very slowly. So if you want to affect the nuclear industry, you essentially need to be on a project for like 10, 15 years. And at the same time, so my um, sort of uh, thesis towards the end of my degree was on energy and scenario modeling. So sort of taking like as many possible inputs as you can and forming a, tr a, a trend in, that can help to inform the future um, in some capacity. So it looks at social, it looks at economics, it looks at technology, it looks at plausibility, it looks at like political and all of those different trends that you can actually say, well, given these things, what can I like, what, what does the, what's the future going to look like and what, what might it look like? And that actually, we sort of realized that we could take this to people um, slightly closer. So we, we'd have conversations with businesses who said, um, you know, we'd love to know what our impact is. We'd love to know, how to make how to change things but we just don't know um and we then it was then sort of that we realized that so my sort of um my my background is as a product manager um commercially tim's is as a um a management consultant so mine was very like very much like okay what does something what does what can this tech do to get us the data and his was like well when you have that data what yeah. can you do with it and so we sort of merged those two quite nicely to to form electro and, and build a product that we do today um in that sense so it, it's definitely like the journey sort of sort of makes sense but it it jumped around a, along the way a little bit as well 
I suppose these things are never linear, are they? But that's that social piece is really interesting because mm. you wouldn't necessarily, if you think of someone studying nuclear energy, the social aspect isn't something that you would, I suppose, expect. On the person or the uh, or the item, would not become to... <laughs> part of that course or part of that. No, really interesting. So, what, and what did that? What, what, what particularly around the social side? And it sounds like that was a really core part in what kind of then turned into the business proposition for Electra. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I think that the, the fact that we have so nuclear power has been around for, you know, decades, like half, seventy years. I think the first commercial power was produced in the UK, um, Calder Hall, where the Queen uh, opened the power station. Quite cool images. Um, bit of British history, but they um, the. I find it amazing that the nuclear industry essentially came from, you know, maybe not the best place from the, the atomic bomb, the Manhattan Project, but it was literally the smartest minds. If somebody asks you to mention like scientists, famous mm. scientists, they mention Einstein, they mention Eisenberg. These are all um, scientists that were literally working on 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 the Manhattan Project and and, and nuclear power. And you have this thing which is like splitting the atom, um, generating power from Einstein's famous e equals MC squared equation, and we're comparing that with like a windmill uh, essentially for like uh, for renewable power and it, it's not to say that renewable power like shouldn't exist solar and wind power are amazing um, technologies they've grown incredibly the size and the power they they produce is incredible but they really don't have the same like adverse um, opinions that pe other people have and so people are like yeah great like let's let's put in loads more wind and loads more solar and loads more hydro and small mini turbines and stuff and you're like well these literally are just motion we're splitting an atom like nuclear power is in my opinion is this like next level power generation that for some reason hasn't been like really widely adopted and one of the big reasons i know that there's um discussions on waste but won't get into it because we'd be here for the next 24 yeah. hours but um it, like it, a lot of it is public perception and yeah. Um, that risk assessment or what people like or what people don't like and so on. And so the social aspect for nuclear is an enormous part of it. Um, it's always been a barrier politically. It's always been a barrier in terms of um, w w what anybody would like to support. Obviously, um, you know, nuclear power is probably always going to be linked to nuclear warheads. And so you have like uh, anti-nuke marches that were massive in the 80s um i think 80s maybe um <laughs> was were, were like a, were a massive part of it and, and you kind of can't escape that so long-winded way of saying yeah they're, they're, it's really really linked to the social aspect and the other side of it is that you can't just tell people what to do and i think it's a really telling people what to do when it comes to sustainability is really difficult because people have lots going on in their lives. Like everyone has other things to worry about. They have more important things to focus on. It doesn't make them a bad person that, you know, sustainability is not at the top of that agenda and you simply cannot expect it to be like that for everyone. So despite yeah. the fact that, you know, there's this fairly wide recognition that we're in a climate crisis, that we're in a place where everyone needs to impact and there needs to be an impact f f from all corners of society. You, you can't just make everyone do that. And so I think, when I when we were thinking about that, and when we were thinking about implementing changes into our um, into the the virtual sustainability officer, we have a big element of employee engagement in there. But we wanted to make it as 
sort of um, encouraging as possible. It's not just about forcing it down someone's throat. It's about saying, well, look, here is some help if you want it. One of the biggest pieces of feedback I got in like sort of early early um, customer feedback, I'd ask a question of saying, how much do you care about sustainability? And everyone would broadly say, yeah, like quite a lot. I say, how much do you do on a day-to-day basis? And people say, I could do more. And that's, yeah. and then you say, well, why? And they say, well, there's a lot going on. And it, and that is, is a really, really big thing. You can't just, none of these changes are going to exist in isolation from how we live our lives. And none of these things are going to exist away from um, like b- b- balancing the, balancing those issues. So it has to be, the social part of, of any of these conversations has to be taken into account. Otherwise, you just will get to a stage where the pushback because you've got one person like forcing you to do something and you're like, well, you know, I need to, I need to go and pick my kids up from school or I need to, or my, or my, or my like grandma's in hospital or the, that job that I thought I was going to get, I, I haven't got. And therefore I now don't have rent this month or, you know, very immediately heating is incredibly expensive this winter. And with winter with with heating being expensive this winter i don't think people are thinking about sustainability they're thinking about like staying warm and and making sure that everyone in this country and around the world is 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 warm when you need that and that has to be you know that has to be the number one thing but yeah it but so so social it, it all of these decisions ultimately are linked to social like however massive these projects are whether you're thinking about a, a mega project like a nuclear power station or whether you're thinking about day-to-day adoption of like oat milk, you know, they come back to social social issues and and how you can help to explain that to people um, and helps to, to and, and really help people to feel in control of their own decision making process. And and I, I think it's kind of an not an underrated thing because I think people appreciate it, but sometimes maybe it's 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 not quite as appreciated as 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 it as it needs to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think having the opportunity to to study that, so I think, you know, is, yeah, has definitely given a USP to your product that may not have been there perhaps otherwise. So after you finished university, did yourself and Tim kind of go your separate ways then, him into management consultancy, yourself into product? And, and at what point did your, did you kind of start these conversations? Yeah, exactly. So we did, we had so a divergence. And, and did the business start to take shape? Yeah, um, we, we had a divergence briefly, um, and but we were talking about things quite a lot. I mean, we're, we're very close friends, and we had a like really great time at university, so it was very easy to stay in touch and talk about these things. Um, I think that kind of to your earlier point about the entrepreneurial piece as well, we we both kind of thought that we could do something like ourselves. So that was always something we we quite were we were quite interested in. Um, you know, general dealing with general bureaucracy and work is sometimes frustrating when you get told to do stuff. I mean, Tim's was worse than I, my one was, I was at least working with like tech companies and in quite cool places. Tim's was much more industrial. He was at a, um, he was at a, a, a chicken like abattoir for four months or something. So like, I think it maybe affected him a little bit more. Um, but yeah, yeah, we would speak a lot. And um, for the first sort of year of our operations, we were just doing it part time. Um, right. So we were basically, we got, we got, you know, real uh, slice, of, slice of luck. We were chatting about this and we got approached by um, a company that I know quite well who vaguely um the md of the company knew my background and knew this was something i looked at and he said oh we're trying to do this do you have any recommendations 
So we were like, oh, we can do it for you. So we just did this project. Um, it was a bit uh, of, of, of learning along the way. Um, but then we just kept it up because we realized that we delivered this project. It, it, it really fitted exactly what they needed. We started to see parallels between businesses. We started to see um, how we could repeat this work on a, on, on a continuous basis started to think actually like this is a really important thing and we're contributing hopefully towards a solution and definitely towards the awareness here um and that was the path that we wanted to go down so yeah we we, it, we diverged but then came back together continuously talking about it and then actually just had to at least at some stage take the leap of faith and um yeah basically uh, decide that this is something we wanted to do yeah and when you got that first piece of work so it was kind of almost a slight stroke of luck then that this company that you knew said look can you help us with this was mm. that piece of work more of a because as it stands at the moment Electra is a kind of a virtual product right it's a SaaS sure. platform that first piece of work was that you know using the technology or was that a manual piece of work that you guys did and then you built the platform off the back of it yeah so the latter so we um we f- f- we, we actually thought that you could do consulting on this um, mm-hmm. because we thought every single company would be a different use case. And we saw, sort of thought that every single company would have ins and outs. And actually, we realized that that wasn't, re- that wasn't actually the case. Um, so we had we have a lot of like data analysis that we were doing um, and piecing things together. Um, and that's sort of the, the, the framework of the entire of, of everything that we do. Um, how we can use this and like transform any data into usable data for, for in terms of like a carbon impact. Um, so we started consulting. We did that for a couple more clients. Mm-hmm. And then it was kind of when we realized that actually there isn't very much difference between most c- companies. There are, it does fluctuate, um, mm-hmm. but also we learned a lot. And that's when we got much more into the social side of it as well. And so we actually realized that for most companies, they don't just want this top level number. Like if I told you that, or if I was speaking to somebody and I said that the carbon impact of a company is a hundred tons, it's like, cool. <laughs> like it doesn't really do very much. And it's actually much more to do with, okay, well, well, where do we want to be? Um, are we engaging not just on a carbon level? Or are we looking at other elements of like biodiversity? Are we addressing what other like employees want in this business are we looking at other problems here are we helping and to educate employees in our business and we realized that that was a really nice piece so then that's when we um actually went out to try and uh, put together a business model to get some funding for the business um which we uh so that was towards towards the end of 2021 (laughs) i remember what year it is Uh, (laughs) so we started doing that it actually took us quite a long time to do the funding because um you know basically first-time founders we didn't really know what we were doing um and first time sort of raising money having conversations and that sort of thing so we um it took us quite a long time we had a lot of calls um with people we hadn't really defined our messaging very clearly um so so we so we did that but then that was the transition it was like well it's tech from here like we 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 are in a great position to learn from that and actually I, I sort of think that those years of consulting on the year, years, about a year and a half of doing those projects sort of part-time and then moving to full-time, we learned so much from that, that mm-hmm. if we had applied a pure tech model to it straight away, I think you'd miss quite a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, so we, we feel like we're in a stronger position because of that. And we feel like we're in a better place to, um, to be able to talk into some of those nuances as well, that we can generate these actions and insight automatically but only because we know that 
actually, this is different in this company to the other 10 companies that we've just done this analysis on as well, because that, that will flick out. So without knowing those things and without going through that process, it would have been, it would have been quite difficult to do. And, and certainly, as I mentioned, the, we, I don't think we would have looked at the social and sort of individual employee element of it anywhere near as much. Um, so, um, yeah, that was it, it, that's how it, how it sort of came to fruition really. Mm, fab. So time really, really valuably spent then, and then insights that you've kind of gained from that that have kind of for, informed how the company has then evolved, how the tech platforms have been built with very much with the customer in mind there, so, you know, insights that you've derived directly from them. Exactly that. And I think, you know, my background, my sort of product background is that you need to make sure that you're building something that people are going to want to pay for, and that actually gives them value. And I think that the first sketch of what Electro would look like is quite different to what it is now. Um, and there are some key points that we think that we do like quite well um, because because we've had conversations with people. They've come from very real-world feedback, really, without an agenda associated with them. So it wasn't like, again, give somebody something and they say, great, thanks for this. It was more like, okay, these are the conversations that we're having. What else would be useful? What would be valuable for you moving forward? What's, the, what's that direction of travel? So all of those things have definitely really informed what we've built and what we're now, um, yeah, taking to market. Um, and that fundraise then, that first fundraise, you said you had no experience of fundraising before and that it, going through that process taught you a lot about mm. how to position your message and, and, and you know, your, your value offering. So talk me through how you approached that kind of funding journey. How did you even learn about how to approach it from the start? How did you line up which VCs you were going to go and approach? And talk me through that whole journey. Yeah, so we, um, I was actually, I was in Portugal um, it was the first, uh, it was the bank holiday of, um, of the 2020 summer, uh, the August bank holiday where basically everyone was holidaying in the UK and I hadn't sorted anything out. And then right at the last minute, um, Portugal got taken off the, uh, red list. And so oh, I was yeah. like, amazing, <laughs> go to go to Portugal. So I went over to Portugal to, um, see a friend who was over there. Um, and he is somebody that I worked with in the past um, as some other other tech companies. And I was just chatting to him about it. And he was like, yeah, just go and do some SEIS stuff to get a, a, some advanced assurance and take that. And I was like, what is what is SEIS? <laughs> um, and then and he was like, you should really know this. Uh, but then we started talking about it and um, looking into it. That obviously then directs. Um, I, I, I suppose um, who we would try and get in touch with, um, it really directed us to what we should be including or thinking about. We put together a first pitch deck and sent it through to probably not the best <laughs> reception um, from from a few VCs. But again, we learned with that. I mean, I think that the number one, like the absolute number one lesson that i've learned from this entire process is that you can kind of fix stuff if you get it wrong um and so we would just say well send this out let's get the feedback let's take that on board and so we actually curated like a much better deck by the time so then the fund that um did did invest in us saw a deck which was much further along um than the initial one which i i think helps we got some help just putting making that deck look quite nice from a, a, a friend of mine a graphic designer so she did a great job at making that just look better than any design that I would be doing. Um, but that was sort of the star of that journey. And we, um, even to a point where 
I find it, I find it, I'm not really very salesy. Um, and, and Tim isn't either. And I think that, you know, when you're doing pitches to people, you kind of are selling yourself a bit, but I find it quite hard to, yeah, be like, ah, oh, these are the lights shining everywhere. <laughs> like, you know, go for it. Um, and so we had to learn that a little bit the hard way as well, that we realized that we needed to like be better in these and be, be more enthusiastic and not just hope that somebody would see us and be like, ah, oh, these are nice boys. Like they've got, an, they've got an idea. They seem fine. And it is a bit more of a, like, we, we need this money because we think with this money, we can do something great. And that's kind of where we got to in the end with it. Um, so yeah, so that, that was sort of, that it was, there was a lot of learning in that sense to get to that stage. And did you get any external kind of support from people? And like you said, you're not a natural salesperson. That's not Tim's background either. Did did anybody kind of help and support and coach you in in that presentation piece and how to pitch? They did, yes. Yeah. So we had um, we we sort of searched our network quite a lot to do some practice pitches, which in themselves are some of the most uncomfortable things. Pitching to a really good mate and pretending that you've never spoken to them before. But the feedback that we got there was, you know, invaluable. And these are people that have seen these pitches all the time. The, the message is it's very um, it's very easy to get wrapped up in what you're delivering. I think when you do it every day and you know the product inside and out and you know the um, you know, you know, all the benefits, you know, all the nuances and the trends in the market and how we're addressing all of those. If you've never seen that before, it's a very different prospect. And so it was just things like that that people said, look, I, I vaguely know what you're talking about because I've seen it before, but you've got to assume that I don't know this. Um, right. And so we, we learn an awful lot from that. And so to say, because, you know, you don't get the funding on the first pitch, right? You get the funding through how you then go through it, but you need to get around that, that first pitch. Um, and so we got some amazing help from people. Um, I think, you know, networks are, are, are just incredible. I, I try really, really, really hard now to, you know, answer and help as much as I can when people come to me, um, because I think I, I, we just got so much help. Um, and people were so generous with their time. So trying to really, really like pay, pay that back as much as, as much as I can. Um, so, so yeah, we got some, got some great help, um, from people really invaluable, um, just, and also sometimes just, it would throw up questions that we hadn't even thought about or anything like that, like, like that. So kind of as silly as it seems, just doing those practices are, are just so vital. Um, and we were just definitely much more yeah. practiced and much more polished when we were speaking to people then about about things. Yeah, I think people, you know, with, when they're first time founders and they're going out and starting that that kind of fundraising process, are almost quite nervous of the no's they're going to get. You know, oh, I'm scared I'm going to get. So it's really nice to reframe that and think actually, no, it's all those no's that honed the pitch, that made it better, that you know really helped you reframe and reposition more clearly what your business and what your product was um so actually you should kind of welcome the nose right because they're absolutely they're what build it C completely and and i think you know nobody likes being told no and and also you're starting a business right you you have to the, the sooner that you realize that you're going to make mistakes and that all you can do is learn from those the easier everything gets because it's just otherwise you stress about being perfect and i i am quite like meticulous with 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 detail and spend too much time and again you know it's just helpful to sort of realize that you can do lots and you should never like i don't i, I would never recommend anyone doesn't put as much effort as they can into these things because you will just sell yourself short but 
at the same time, there are also things that you you probably just won't be able to do. You could practice a pitch a million times and then forget a key sentence that you like to say in it. Uh, and you, you haven't missed that. And these things just happen. So, um, but, but definitely, I mean, those no's are, are amazing. And also when, when you, when you get those no's, you're getting no's from people who are, are seeing this over and over again. So you'll get a no because, you know, we don't think your go to market strategy is strong enough. Like, make your go-to-market strategy stronger for the next pitch. <laughs> it's like all these things they're, they're telling you so that eventually when you do speak to somebody who says really like this, hopefully that's because they've said, um, because you've, you've been able to hone that really nicely. Oh, I've lost you. Have I lost it or is it me? I've just been on LinkedIn. I think I'm good. Oh, sorry about that. I don't know what happened there, but you can hear me all right? I am. Yeah, I can. I can. Good. Sorry, I think my internet just dipped. Um, okay, brilliant. Yeah, no, that's really helpful, that that funding stuff. And so once you guys secured the money, mm-hmm. um, what did that look like from that point on? What did that money enable you to do and, and where's that brought you to today? So um, the money, the, the, the plan for that money was to develop our, like, really proof of concept. So we were doing a lot of stuff on Excel. Um, we had automated things a lot. Um, to, and actually the processes are like a really important part of what we do um, and, and how you automate those processes. Um, but we, we basically wanted to build our uh, like minimal marketable products or um, really the MMP to take to market. So we, we basically took the money and we hired two um, developers um, so that we went from a team of like two and a half um, we have a, a contracting sort of acting CTO um, who was, you know, incredible. Uh, it's another one of the another one of the like tips that I would say to people is just get somebody, get people that you really trust to, mm-hmm. to help out and just give them like pay them a bit for it because they are just invaluable. Um, but we got hard our two developers and we set about building um, the platform. Um, which was like super fun, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, it's like, it was awesome to do. We started testing a lot of hypotheses around sales, around marketing, testing a lot of ins and outs, getting a lot of um, like user feedback, customer feedback, what's going to work, what's not going to work. Um, started experimenting a bit just with different brands that we could like look to chat to as well, um, which is which is really, really cool. And then the other side of it is that once we were in that funding um, funding journey, we sort of connected up with other people in that funding journey. And I, I guess that's sort of where we connected up first, Sherry, there. Yeah. It was in that space that, that there's so much knowledge there. And it's really amazing to be part of a um, part of a sort of a wider ecosystem of people who are doing other things. And, you know, it's cool to be able to celebrate other people's successes. And it's great when, when people celebrate yours and, and, and so on. So, um, when we were in that, but yeah, it was essentially build. I mean, we had to build the technology. Um, we took, we actually ended up totally getting rid of our proof of concept platform um, because we just thought it was not really where we wanted to go. We had to make some decisions around database technologies and stuff as well. From my point of view, it was piecing together all the, the architecture, all the database architecture that we had from um the, the the how things were going to be set up start building that um which again like f- for me was super fun i like I, I love 
that data and I love the sort of power that that, that, that gives us. But we got really we got really, really lucky with the with the two um, people that we hired. They like just totally excelled in everything that we thought they'd be able to do. They've been like amazing at creating this great culture in the business and and like really cultivating something a little bit different. Um, it was great to be able to sort of include them in all the decision making processes that we made as we were building that culture as well, that it, it didn't just have to be um, we didn't have to have that like locker room mentality that lots of startups tend to have. And the fact that we could start thinking about that early was, was really, really positive. Um, and I think maybe lost you again, but I'll just keep talking about the tech build out a little bit more. So we basically started with some frameworks, um, used a lot of Figma frameworks to, um, think about what we were developing but we would always have very 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 continuous dialogue so we try and run sprints but inevitably running sprints is very difficult when you have a small team because other things do pop up and um, but by just running those uh, sort of pseudo sprints or getting to a stage where we could run those sprints it meant that we could actually um, learn a lot together so front and back end knowledge that we had in our developers really helped then for me to be able to um, piece together what that database looked like and what the functionality of that database needed to be. Um, so we basically took that forward and we continued to build um, build our, our, our pipeline of clients. Um, Tim did a great job in, in actually taking that forward. Um, again, we saw that as a real opportunity to just really learn how companies worked. Um, the, the aim of the game for us is to understand how we can streamline this. The reason that we call ourselves a virtual sustainability officer is ultimately because that's what we want to be. Most companies are not going to have the, the time, uh, financial or otherwise um, resource to be able to do this in-house themselves. And so what we can do is we can actually go beyond simply just saying, uh, here's your 100 ton value. And we can actually learn a lot more about what they do as a business and, and how that transition to net zero is really going to affect them. But by learning along the way, we were actually able to, you know, automate an awful lot of that as well, um, which has been which has been really positive. And then I think f from that point of view, uh, or from there, we're now we were able to release our MMP um, uh, back over over summer. So really, our beta product, um, which we have been yeah ha ha got quite a good reception from from our clients. Um, you know, sped up the process to do this so rapidly. We've been able to build some slightly more innovative stuff um, in terms of sort of natural language processing algorithms and in terms of um, like regression analysis as we go through it as well, which again, we use to essentially take the admin burden out of this um, for individuals. So um, it's been, it's been a, a, a pretty powerful journey in that sense. And the way that we've been taking it forward from that, from, from that place um we've had to be really dynamic and really agile with it because otherwise we wouldn't we wouldn't have been able to get to where where we have got to i think one of the challenges of hey jerry sorry about that <laughs> just dropped the scout again carry on <laughs> it's all right yeah I just, I just carried on i just carried on the, the internal monologue that i've been having for <laughs> the last uh last six months but i just got to a stage where i was saying that what we managed to build we one of the things which is super important for us or was super important for us was not outsourcing that 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 work that dev work um and actually having people in-house that 
would learn and allow our entire build ecosystem and our sprints and our mistakes. They were they were mistakes as team as a team. Um, we would build stuff and we could mock stuff up really quickly. Some things would work, some things wouldn't work. But having that the capability of that in house was like really really powerful because things would essentially change quite a lot and we would find some issues and and we'd be able to rectify that like with a the the, the database structure that we've had has been really dynamic um as well and, and has been quite flexible um again through sort of a recommendation from 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 the cto um figure that i was speaking about before yeah. he said i'll do it this way um and that's been a massive help we wouldn't have been able to be as flexible if we didn't have that but then yeah. even from that point of view to be able to be like this me in, in that sort of data architect role um and sort of product role then d- developing front and back end with that with our dev team the three of us would just be in such constant dialogue and then the fact that we have him sort of building that client base building that pipeline getting feedback really like really understanding those processes was like a really really powerful combination and I was saying like we di- we didn't really do sprints as such in a sort of weekly basis because like it that's probably a bit too formal for where where we needed to be at. Um, yeah. But we did try and do that. So we tried to put, put put like as many of those processes in place. We'd build things and we'd be able to retrospectively go back to them after because they were like almost compartmentalized, which was again like just a, a really like a good tech way to build those things. So. Yeah, having that team in-house, I mean, they they totally exceeded expectation. We got super lucky with them. Um, they're great people to work with. Um, so, yeah, like, all really having, positive. Has enabled you to be so much more kind of nimble and reactive and totally. kind of according to customer needs that it would have been if you had an outsourced function delivering that for you. Exactly that, exactly that. And, and just, I mean, even to a point, though, that, one of the other great things about the product now when we got the when when we completed the funding round is that we knew what we were building so previously people would say our, our companies would say can you do this for us and we'd say yeah, yeah, yeah we, we will do it we'll do it and, and we could do it but it would be a distraction from what we were trying to achieve whereas now we're much more like well actually this is what you want you should you should use this product and you will go on that same journey that every other company we've worked with has been on. And you'll be in a much stronger position from that in a year's time because of, because of that. Um, so that has really, that's helped us as well to say, you know, to, to be, a, be more confident in what we're delivering, that what we're delivering is the right thing for most companies at that stage, rather than doing, you know, a little bit more ad hoc stuff. Yeah, building that confidence. That's really important and being really certain, you know, being really sure of your service and what value it's offering for sure. Okay, so so, so where are you today? Snapshot of Electro today in terms of clients, headcount and, and, and where you're at now? Yeah, so we um, have grown grown um, again. So we've hired uh, in the sales team. So we're now up to five FTE. Um, our plan is to get to 20 by the end of next year. Um, we're up to um we're like hitting revenue milestones now um our burn is pretty burn multiplier is pretty good as well so we're going um we're, we're, we're looking at investment for seed at the moment um it's we're, it's proving to be like a pretty tough uh market uh, for many obvious reasons that i think everyone's finding but we're getting good reception but we're, we're in a really good position as well we're not um our runway is not reliant on this funding round so we're now gonna we're moving forwards and we've got a plan we're executing that plan and we will 
you know, as and when the time is right for that, um, we'll be in a really good position with that. But but again, that when we've been speaking to a few funds at the moment, we've learned a lot in that process as well. So, yeah, fingers crossed, uh, continued growth. Um, pretty cool to be ending the year to be thinking about, you know, putting on a Christmas party for, for everyone. Um, it's quite a nice thing to like celebrate those successes. Um, it's very easy to lose track of that. Um, it's very easy just to say, uh, you know, get caught up in yeah, a mistake that I made in a calculation or a, I deleted a bit of data by accident or something. But actually celebrating those successes, we had a great team day last week where we just kind of reviewed everything that we had done. And it's like mesmerizing to see how far we've come. Um, and and, and uh, it was great to be able to celebrate that with the team um so but yeah so looking forward to 2023 a lot i think we're in a really strong position really strong foundation we're in a great place to be able to scale quite rapidly um our clients have been like fantastic um i think one of the great things about working with it's still a very nascent market right even though sustainability is hot on everyone's agenda most companies haven't actually done something proper on it and so the companies that we're working with are like are, are really great companies they have strong mandates internally they are run really well that it's not just sustainability it's like dni and, and and everything else as well it's just like really strong from what we see so we love working with these clients um they teach us as much as you know we can teach them a lot on the sustainability but they also teach us an awful lot just about how what companies should look like. So, um, yeah, looking forward to just learning a lot more from those clients as well and continuing to provide our solution to, to, to help them as well. And that's one thing that, you know, in, in the couple of times that we've spoken in the past has struck me as unique about your approach is that you have a really partnership focused relationship with your clients and it's very much they are very involved in the building of what your platform will look like and they're part of that journey with you and it's not a transactional they're just a client get them on the platform it's very yeah. much like you're learning from them they're learning from you and that real nice symbiotic relationship which seems quite unusual yeah well i think so i think it comes from the um probably because we did a bit of consulting to start with mm. um and i think that we learned a lot there that it's not just it's not the the data like underpins a lot of these decisions and obviously like i'm very data heavy i always have been like i love the fact that you can do things with data but but there is more to it than, than that and we want to help these companies to like show the, the people have made a commitment it's a companies have made a commitment it's a big commitment um and it's the right commitment in in my eyes i mean you say what you want about you can say whatever you want about whether or not companies should or shouldn't be doing this or small companies or whatever it might be. But ultimately being, you, you shouldn't be able to profit and be damaging to the planet. That's, that just is not how the world works and that's not how the world is going to work in 10, 20 years time. So these companies, sure, they might be slightly early adopters and, and that's, I think, you know, why we love working with them because they, you, you can, you can tell, we, but we learn a lot from them as well. Um, but we, we want to really help them and, and we have, we have done, I mean, some of the stuff that these companies have done is, is amazing. And by giving them that nudge, sometimes we want to give them the tools to be able to take this on internally. And every now and again, when we check back in with companies on, on things or they get in touch with us, they just introduced more initiatives or they've done things that we hadn't even thought of. And it's just by, Again, you make employees part of this journey. Employees have suggestions and 
like you know what yeah sure it, it works and and that's i think that's not just to do with sustainability i think that's how really good companies run by listening to people and say and, and not just having one person at the top who's, who makes a mistake uh, who makes a decision and that it doesn't matter if it's a mistake or not it's just their decision um, yeah. and, and, and so i think we've learned an awful lot from people um within the business as we've gone through that yeah, no, that's brilliant. And and I always, um, it sounds like a really exciting next 12 months for you as well. That growth sounds phenomenal. So yeah, and watch this space very much. Um, yeah. So round out um, by just doing three quick fire questions. Um, so question number one, what is your top, and you've given us some great advice already, but what's your top piece of advice for somebody who's thinking about setting up their own business? Um it's basically do it do, do, do something quickly uh not not do it sorry do something quickly like you literally will never know i think as guy at my last uh, the last place i worked he used to say um uh i can't even think of the quote it's like dream big act fast or something like that <laughs> That sounds. That's the worst. That is the worst <laughs> advice I've ever given. Oh my god! But, but essentially, it's essentially like you're never gonna, you're never gonna like try and learn, put something into practice. Like we did this pilot project, and we sort of figured out a lot what we thought and what we got out of that. We just, but but the fact that we just did it, we we learned an awful lot from that. Um, so I think you would just have to act on on something. To be honest, I'm really sorry to anyone who sees that terrible advice. <laughs> No, I like that. Ultimately, it was good. So get something out the door and then hone it as you go. It doesn't have to be exactly. perfect from day one, but just, yeah. No, that's great. That's advice. Much, much um, more eloquent. There we go. Um, and then the second one, which either business or sustainability role model do you wish you could have just one hour with? So um, there's a, a, a founder. Um, he's a tech founder. He's a guy called Aaron Levy. Um, he's somebody, he runs a company called Box, who are essentially a company like Dropbox. Um, okay. But he started Box when he was about 24. Um, and he is just like a really visionary f founder and so far hasn't been embroiled in any dodgy controversy. But so fingers crossed that stays that way. But he's just, he, he um, used to, he was one of the first people to introduce and say, we do not want people sleeping in our office. We want people to just do the stuff that they do and go home. Like if you've done it, that's the point of this business and like to really start thinking about what life um, balance did things like didn't have an office. He just used to sit with people in the business and stuff. And, and like, I just think it's the right approach to it. It's like pretty genuine and it definitely takes on, I, I people on seats in offices is like something I could just not get behind. People just need to be given the freedom to do the work and, and, and you give them the freedom and then hopefully they love their job and they love the company they're part of. And that is like something that, I've followed him probably for the last 10 years now just in terms of what he's, he's doing. And I think he just like really nails that messaging. So Aaron, if you see this, give me a call. There you go. You, that's it. You may well have an hour with him. Who knows? Uh, yeah. we facilitated that. Is he UK based or US based? Unfortunately, US based. So um, maybe I'll go and find him in the least store crew if possible. Oh, there you go. Well, I'm going to look him up now because I've not heard of him before. That sounds fab. Uh, and the third one, what's one quick lifestyle change that you'd recommend to people listening that could help them live more sustainably? Um, yeah, really good question. I mean, so my, so 
God, I'm so uh, struggle with words sometimes. I think that a real difficulty, and it comes back to telling people what to do and what not to do, right? Yeah. If you tell somebody not to fly, that is the worst possible messaging that you can give to somebody as a, from this point of view, of course, there needs to be changes in how we fly in the aviation industry and what we need to do. But you can basically think about things. I now um, have got the train in and out of Europe like loads of times in the last couple of years. Um, one time I um, was coming back from Marseille and got the, a train up to Paris. It was about four hours. Stopped off, had a um, fondue and a glass of red wine and then got the Eurostar back. It was honestly the best way to possibly travel. It's not going to be possible for everyone for every journey, but it is actually like really possible and not actually very expensive a lot of the time yeah. to do things like that. And I think that, you know, it was one of the nicest journeys I've ever had. Um, and yeah, so uh, I'm a massive advocate in general for public transport, like when you can use public transport i think it shows a shows a like a real developed city and supporting that is a great thing to do um but yeah tra tra trains in and out of europe are just like genuinely quite life-changing and just so much nicer than flying in and out of those short-haul flights so if you can do that I, I think it's an easy change and and um quite a nice one to do yeah, absolutely. I agree. My partner and I got the Eurostar a few years ago to Paris. And as we were sat on the train, we just thought, isn't this a much more civilised way to travel? Mm. I haven't mm. heard anywhere yet. This is actually quite lovely. Yeah. Um, but like you said, you know, you've, you've, you've echoed a few times throughout this conversation that telling people what to do isn't always the way to go, is it? And and I think there's definitely an element of making some of these sustainable, sustainable choices is most definitely a privilege. And you mm. have to come mm -hmm. maybe certain position of privilege to be able to really? even have space to think about making these changes let alone the fact that some of them take more time you have to take more days holiday to do that or you know some of these things are more expensive but yeah you know speak speaking to those that can that is them um, that is great advice and it is quite it was, a lovely way to <laughs> yeah and, and just i mean just touching on that really quickly another a quote that stuck with me from from so so long ago that i listened to a um, on a podcast and it was with the director of the Indian national grid and it was like an economist podcast and he said uh, the, the host says why in a country with like more solar irradiation than anywhere else why don't you just build solar and the guy's response was just like we're trying to connect the like population up to electricity we don't care where it comes from and it's like it's very easy to get to get lost in that and to lose track of the the, the as you say the privilege that we make these decisions on um but um all of these things do do help and, and sort of help to drive towards this change in transition and behavior and stuff. And like a lot of those things are not from, from like my point of view or from, from like some of these decisions we can make, they're not massive changes, but they can be really good. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Well, look, thank you so much for joining us today. That's been absolutely brilliant. There've been some really um, interesting bits of insight there. Sorry for my connection dipping in and out. I apologize, but you carried on like a trooper. So well done you. Um, but yeah, some, some really valuable stuff there for people that are either thinking about making the move and hopefully this will give them the get up and go to just go out and do it. And even like yourself and Tim did, if that takes a slightly different form to start off with, or if you do it part time whilst you really kind of get the money behind you, I suppose, to, to take that leap of faith and do it, then, then hopefully that will give some people the the motivation to do just that so yeah go and enjoy the rest of your conference thank you so much for spending that time talking to me I really thank you so much for having me and also as i said like if anyone does want to reach out then please feel free to i'd love to be able to like maybe give some slightly more eloquent advice than i did through that um <laughs> so yeah we'll see but thank you so much for having me and um speak to you soon no worries absolute pleasure take care cheers sherry bye-bye
people that are either thinking about making the move and hopefully this will give them the get up and go to just go out and do it. And even like yourself and Tim did, if that takes a slightly different form to start off with, or if you do it part time whilst you really kind of get the money behind you, I suppose, to, to take that leap of faith and do it, then then hopefully that will give some people the, the motivation to do just that. So, yeah, go and enjoy the rest of your conference. Thank you so much for spending that time talking to me. I really Thank you so much for having me. And also, as I said, like if anyone does want to reach out, then please feel free to. I'd love to be able to like maybe give some slightly more eloquent advice than I did through that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see. But thank you so much for having me and um, speak to you soon. No worries. Absolute pleasure. Take care. Cheers, Jerry. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Please follow the show to be noted of all future episodes. We've also saved videos of all of our interviews over on the Above and Beyond YouTube channel. Check out the show notes to find the links to this and links to all of the resources mentioned on today's show. See you next week. <laughs>